recording now. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu anasalli ala Rasulihi al-Kareem. Amma ba'ad. Fired away. Ahad. So in your last class, you had you had mentioned that when, you know, miracles, you know, in the context of that conversation were, you know, you know, happening around us, you know, that can either increase your, you know, iman or decrease it. And that was based upon your like tendency to like allow it for that. Yes. My question is how, how do we, you know, fix that like tendency and is that tendency affected by our uh, like family or like, or like, or like upbringing? I mean, you know, what are all the factors that, that kind of build towards that, you know, like, you know, tendency? So, I mean, the, the, the short version, a short answer would be, you know, do you, uh, in your des- either you're desiring to get closer to Allah or you're not, right? And, um, and if we have two different ends of the spectrum, one is the person who is desiring to get closer to Allah, the other one who is desiring to get away from Allah. Yeah. They may not frame it that way, but essentially you know, those are the two ends. And the person who's desiring to get closer to Allah, think about it just like with the language of love and such, that you want any hint of your beloved. And so that includes an appreciation for creation. That includes especially an appreciation for things that seem to violate the norms of creation or the perfect thing happening at the perfect time. You know, uh, Earlier today, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. His wife died uh, last week on the anniversary 12 years later of his previous wife dying. And he's, he was talking about how previously he would feel like these visits from his first wife. This guy's not Muslim. He's an atheist. And he would feel these visits from, from his first wife. And then in the past week, he's been feeling visits from both of them. So whatever this feeling is, they're actually two different feelings, you know, and, and, you know, I didn't say, okay, that's ridiculous, man. I mean, especially someone who's, grieving but the point is that you know i uh, i did say these are at the very least expressions of his love for for these wives you know and longing for them and so what we want to try to have is a longing for allah and a longing to get closer you know on the on the program where where i gave that lecture the youtube program that that uh, that a couple of people talked about at the end of class yesterday one of the questions i received was you know what's the difference between a prophet and us in terms of personality and such and i gave two uh, parts of an answer and immediately after that i thought of a third part and two parts of an answer is that the prophets peace be upon them um, are perfect in character or they're very solid in character and they're also intellectually brilliant and a third part of the answer would have been that their love for us exceeds our love for our own selves and their love for Allah exceeds that. And so then we have the story of Musa salam, wanting to see Allah. And through that lens, we'd say it's out of love for Allah. He wants anything. And Ibrahim salam, when we gave the example of him saying to Allah, can you show me how you give life to the dead? If you looked at it as an expression of Ibrahim salam, and his love for Allah, wanting more, you know, wanting to get closer, it would be that, that type of thing. And, and, so from and that I, perspective, but from that perspective, everything can can then uh, um, increase that. And so it doesn't have to be some cataclysmic event. It could be something very, very simple, like this right thing happened at this exact right time. A raindrop, you know, falls on your forehead, and that can become exactly that. Yeah, So I think uh, so. Just just supporting to your point, I think, and everything require a time commitment. Right, so uh, like, but the more you spend time with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala and looking into or searching for Allah and guidance, then you will get more. The level of iman will increase, right? I mean, all yeah. the way from the Prophet, and if you look for the Sufism, I was talking to one of one of the friends yesterday on the same topic, and he mentioned like a very localized example back in home that, you know, when you give someone to just color a cloth, right? And he says, oh, I need this right away in a day. He says, okay, you can take it back in a day, but it's not going to be like a permanent color. But if you take it back after two, three days, so I can just go through with like a several iteration of the same color and, you know, 
soak it up very well, then it's going to be permanent color. So, mm-hmm. so in order to get there, to to have a color of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala on you, to get more witness, His sign, you know, we have to spend more time. Mm-hmm. And and in the real life too, right? I mean, in nowadays in technology and everything, like you have to have a more time commitment. In order to get Excel for any skill set, right? So it's, yeah, I would say that absolutely that absolutely applies here. You know, so I mean, building on that, so part two of an answer uh, for you, Ahant, would be that the key is to obey Allah more on His terms. Okay, so having said that, we are now about to begin our final story. And this is going to cover us from I 67 to 74, although the core of the story is going to be 67 to 71. And this is the famous story of Musa alayhi salam telling his followers that they have to slaughter a cow. And so first, let's just go through the ayahs very, very simply. And, and then we'll go through them in some detail. So hopefully you can see the eyes on your screen. So what if qala Musa liqawmihi? And I think we talked about the usage of, of ya qawmi or liqawmihi. That's when the Prophet still has hope of their guidance. Otherwise, when they give up, then it becomes ya ayyuhal kafirun. And that's when the Prophet has given up hope. And, and to get more of a sense of that, read Surah 71 where Nuh alayhi salam is giving uh, his report to Allah Ta'ala. And then in the latter part of the report, he's basically saying, okay, don't leave any of these people alive. So, inna allaha ya'murukum. So, Allah Ta'ala, inna allaha ya'murukum an tavbahu baqara. So, Allah Ta'ala is commanding you to slaughter a cow. So, that's the command. And in the course of this discussion, we're going to uh, explore things like obeying Allah, uh, Allah's rules, as well as reason versus revelation, and in a number of other fun things, inshallah. So what is their first response? Okay. Are you making fun of us? Okay. And then he says, billahi an akuna min al-jahileen. I seek refuge from being one of the ignorants. And again, I'm just going to read through this and just pause at different moments, and then we'll go through it uh, phrase by phrase, inshallah. So then they start asking a series of questions. They say, call upon your Rabb. So, so call upon your Rabb to make clear to us what it is. And then he gives an answer. That it's a cow that's neither too old nor too young, somewhere in between. Okay. And, so do what you're commanded. And then they ask another question. Okay, tell us what color it is. And so he says it's basically a cow that is yellow, kind of bright in the color. And when you see it, you just, you know, it's pleasing to your, to your eyes. Yeah. And try to picture this cow as we're going through this. So it's a cow medium age and it's bright yellow. And then they ask another question. Okay. Ask your Lord to make clear to us what it is. So they ask the age, they ask the color, and just, all right, just tell us okay, everything looks alike to us. Inshallah, we will be guided. So he gives us next answer. He says, it's a cow neither trained to plow the earth nor to irrigate the fields. Okay and it doesn't have any blemishes. And they say, okay, now you have come with the truth. And so they slaughter the cow, even though they almost did not. Now, back to the point from before. So this is the core of the story. Back to the point I made before, we commonly teach this as though they are looking for an excuse not to sacrifice the cow as though they're trying to get out of it, as though they're trying to make Musa salam miserable. That is absolutely one way to read this. And I'm suggesting also to read this, not as people who are trying to get out of the responsibility, but read it as normal people. And what do we find with normal people? A lot of times when they're given an assignment or a command, they ask for more detail. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? 
And that is exactly what we see happening here. I think it's very normal behavior. So much so, one of the backstories, we don't see WhatsApp, one of the backstories of the revelation of, it's around, in Surat al-Ma'idah, the revelation, well, that's not what the backstory is, but the revelation of the ayahs on Hajj is that, <clears throat> that's weird, is that, you know, the believers being told, do Hajj if you are able. And so one of the companions asked the Prophet, peace be upon him, does that mean we have to do Hajj every year if we're able? Because it doesn't say you have to do it once in your lifetime, it's do it if you're able. And in the prophet, peace on does not answer. The companion asks again. Prophet doesn't answer. The companion asks again. And then the prophet says, peace be upon him, if I tell you yes, then you're going to have to do it. So don't ask. And the prophet has this ayah. Sorry, more technical difficulties. There it is. Okay. Ah. So, oh, you who believe, do not ask about things which, if they're shown to you, they're going to give you a hard time. Okay. Don't ask questions where you don't want to hear the answer. Don't ask questions where you may have responsibilities put on you that you don't want. If you ask about them when the Quran is being revealed, they will be shown to you. But what? Allah Ta'ala has wiped it out. He has pardoned you for that. He is Ghafoorul Halim. But it goes a step further. There are people who would ask such questions and then they became coffers. And so, so this doesn't mean don't ask questions. Obviously, half of asking questions is half of the process of, of gaining knowledge. But the point is that be very conscious, intentional, aware of the questions that you're asking. Uh, because it's very easy to fall down into a pit of just saying, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And what about that? And I mean, Imam al-Ghazali even really, really simplifies that a lot, saying that, all right, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, this is all in the first book, where he says, you know, if you're not, if you're alive at the time of Hajj, of Fajr, then you need to know Fajr, how to pray. If you're alive at the time of Ramadan, then you need to know the rules of fasting. Prior to that, you don't need to know. And so a lot of times we focus on acquiring as much knowledge as we possibly can under the thought that this is going to give us, okay, this is what I need. But more often than not, you know, having been in this field, both as a believer, but then as a professional person uh, for, for uh, quite some time, uh, most of the knowledge you get is only going to be, you know, fill, fulfilling in all these other little, little dots. Meaning already all of you before taking this class, you already know what you need to know. Uh, this class, inshallah, is giving some perspectives on things. But our dean is that simple that you already know what you need to know. The challenge isn't getting you to getting you and I to do more of whatever it is we're supposed to be doing. Okay, so having said that, now let's look at the different parts of what's going on. So Musa says to his people, peace be upon him, Allah says to slaughter a cow, they say, are you making fun of us? Yeah. This part will make more sense when we get into part two of the story. And he says, What could this prayer mean? Why would he be saying this? What are some thoughts? Feel free to either type or turn off your mic or, uh, turn on your microphone or unmute, unmuteify yourself. Yeah, that's essentially it, uh, Yaqba. That it's like he's saying, God forbid that I'm going to waste my time. I'm not fooling around here. And so, yeah, it's, he's thus making a dua, you know, Ya Allah, prevent me from doing something, prevent me from being foolish. Uh, 
I like here it says, you know, I seek refuge from being among the ignorant. I like the word ignoramus. So I seek refuge from being an ignoramus. Yeah. I seek refuge from being jahil. That would be the person who's totally wasting their time. This is the interesting thing. When you look at the Hadith narrations of when Bedouins come to the Prophet, peace be upon him, you know, they're, they're already looking totally worn out because they went from the desert to, to go meet with him. And if they're going out of their way to meet with him, they're serious. They're asking questions. And usually the Bedouins are asking super direct, straightforward questions. One Bedouin says, okay, just tell me what do I need to know to, to get into paradise. And, and the prophet, peace be upon him, says, all right, you worship no one but Allah and you make your prayers. He says, do I need to do anything else? He says, well, if you want, you can make more prayers. Um, but that's on you. Okay, anything else? Okay, you have to make your fasts. Anything uh, during the month of Ramadan, anything else? Well, if you want to do more, you can, right? Uh, but they're usually asking super, super direct questions. And the assumption is that they're going to practice it. And so in so many of these cases with these narrations, the Bedouin says, I'm not going to do any more or any less than this. And then leaves and the prophet says, peace be upon him. In one narration, if you want to see one of the people of paradise, look at that person. Or the prophet says, if what this person says is true, then they're going to paradise. And, and so part of what is being said here is Musa salam is not here to waste your time. Okay, this is not arbitrary, these instructions. The commands to pray are not arbitrary commands. And here the command to slaughter. So <clears throat> they ask, you know, what uh, you know, help us help us figure this out. And he says it's a cow neither too old nor too young, somewhere in between. What if, based on this first command, they just slaughtered a cow? Would that pass the test? What do you all think? Yeah. And so a point to think about is when you and I receive a command, try to keep the boundaries as wide as possible, as merciful as possible. So if they're being told to slaughter a cow, okay, find a cow and you're done. If you needed to know more information, Allah Ta'ala would have given more. If you want to know more information, that can also be had. So another example of this is that Omar is on an expedition and it's time to pray and there's a river there and they're about to do wudu in the river with the river water. And so one question always with water for wudu is, okay, what is considered to be fresh? What is considered not to be wudu usable? I mean, the general principle in fiqh is that if it's natural and if it's running, then you're fine. Meaning a pond, a stagnant pond would not be fine. A lake would be fine. Good. A running water, running water in a river in a stream would be fine. But anyway, they're about to wudu and one of the companions and this is later, that's what fiqh books are saying. But one of the companions is asking Omar, is this water okay for us? And Omar says, don't ask. Meaning Allah knows what you know, Allah knows what you don't know. Work and fulfill what you know. That already is already a lot more volumes than we might realize for ourselves. And so, so they asked the question, they got an answer, neither too old nor, neither too, old nor too young. And then Musa Islam says, okay, do it now. But as we know, this is very much in human nature. And I would suggest this type of, of questioning, when you keep asking for more detail, it is not someone who's seeking to fulfill Allah's command as much as it's someone who's driven by their nafs. The nafs, it has this appetite for more instruction. If the goal was purely directly to serve Allah as perfectly as possible, perfect obedience would have been as soon as the command came down to slaughter a cow, that they slaughter a cow. But the nafs is giving them an illusion that, okay, you want to be more perfect, so ask for more details. And the end result is that the nafs often turns everything upside down. So each time they're asking this question, what is the result? their options have now decreased tremendously. So let's say there's, there's a thousand cows. I don't know how many cows there are in, you know, walking around the desert, but there's a thousand cows 
And now it's a cow neither too old nor too young. Now imagine it's gone down to about 300 cows to choose from. Again, I think well, most of us have- question. Yes. Uh, what, wouldn't that uh, make fiqh essentially an exercise of nafs then? Keep going. Especially where the Ahnaf are accused of uh, engaging excessively in speculative theology and uh, speculation. So I would say the consumption of fiqh is often literally the nafs seeking answers. Uh, this is very often the issue in my office when students are asking for instructions. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Especially with converts, you know, am I allowed to do this? You know, how do I do this? How do I do this? And, and then what will happen is that the student will go online and go through every single legal text they can find. Okay, these are the things that break your fast. Yeah. And they'll come up with the list of like 40 things that will break your fast. When the common list is literally like three or four things. Okay, you eat, you break your fast. Here, in fact, let's make this fun. Um, I won't do it on that screen because you'll be able to see it. Let's, uh, this is, these are questions I received uh, uh, less than two hours ago, okay. And, and so ask yourself how you would answer these questions. And then of course, uh, I'll share my goofy answers. Um, so, okay. So question number one, first this person, and says, I have two questions, but they actually give me three questions. Question number one, can inflating a balloon break your fast? <laughs> question number two, can feeding someone who is not fasting, a non-Muslim, while you are fasting, break your fast? Question number three, uh, do you have to wait a minute after the Adhan to break your fast? Or a better question, do you break your fast at the start or end of the Adhan? Okay, that one makes a little bit of sense. Mm. So everyone's saying, no, no, no. Okay, so my response to question number one, does, can inflating a balloon break your fast? I said, no, unless there was food inside the balloon and you ate the food or you ate the balloon itself. Okay. <laughs> question two, can feeding someone who is not fasting, meaning a non-Muslim while you are fasting break your fast? I say, no, unless you ate, unless you ate the food or you ate the non-Muslim. Okay. <laughs> But why am I giving these answers? Because these questions are, are so ridiculous. Yeah. And then question number three, do you have to wait uh, a minute after the Adhan? I said, you break your fast as soon as the time begins, whether or not the Adhan has started or finished. If it's possible, try not to break your fast by eating a balloon or eating a non-Muslim or a non-Muslim shaped balloon. Okay. So, so this is the person raised Muslim. But, but, but Omar, that, that's, that's also in, in, in the West. I think the teaching is that, you know, you should ask questions, right? And in a back home in, in our culture, when we grow up, it's more like suwe adab, right? Don't ask questions. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's probably a contributing factor, right? That, you know, now, now the children has been told in a school and in, in the social fabric that, you know, you should ask questions, right? You should ask everything. It should be questioned. Mm -hmm. So that, that's, that's another factor. I mean, I think it can be a factor. But I mean, here when we're looking at Bani Israel, I mean, they, they didn't go to, to Loyola and, right. and, and, and ask these questions. <laughs> so um, another, another question I have about that, uh, the Bani Israel, the way they, they are asking when Musa said, jahilin, is that, you know, they, they're asking, they have some factor of um, like disrespect the way yeah. they're asking those questions because, you know, when these, these kind of incidents happen to Muhammad Sallallahu there is a, there is a ayah, right, came in about this Raina and the other, right? Zurna, yeah. uh, every time someone just tried to disrespect Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allah has intervened right mm -hmm. away. So, mm -hmm. but, but it looks like there's a different relationship they have with their prophets mm -hmm. compared to the, the Sahaba with Prophet So, so here's what's interesting. Um, part two is in a second, we'll look at the backstory. Uh, but part one, what's interesting is that there's all these hadith 
where the Sahaba are asking all kinds of questions to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Okay, kind of like this. And the Prophet, peace be upon him, says, I admire the sabr of Musa, alayhi salam, for all the questioning he received. And then, and I'll have to find the exact wording, I'm paraphrasing, he's saying, I don't have as much sabr as Musa, alayhi salam, does. Which I think is very, very fascinating. So, so we have the super Sahaba, right? Abu Bakr, Omar, Ali, Uthman, so far and so on, uh, where they don't seem to be engaging in this. But then there are many, many moments where the Sahaba are asking all kinds of questions. There's one point where the Prophet is on the member, and then someone asks the Prophet some question and he answers it. And then another person asks a question, he answers it. And so the Prophet says, okay, I'll answer your questions. And then people just start asking questions like, all right, who's my father? And, and, and so the Prophet is getting kind of flustered answering these questions because people are asking questions which are going to cause all kinds of other problems in their personal lives. Yeah. And, and then Omar just shuts it all down. He says, you know, we bear witness there is no Ilah but Allah, Muhammad's a messenger of Allah. Kind of making the point that, okay, your questions are, are, are a waste of time. So I'm saying we do also see that among the Sahaba. Right, among the general laity among the Sahaba, not so much among the super Sahabas, um, but it is there. But let's skip past, and we'll come back to this in a second. Let's look at the backstory. And this is Ayah 72 and 73. Okay, recall when you slew a man and then fought over it. Okay. And Allah was to bring about that which you were concealing. So what is actually taking place, this is again out of order. Uh, Ayah 72 is the context of what's going on here. And what's taking place? Somebody got murdered. And now everyone is terrified because they don't know who the killer is. And so they're pointing fingers at everyone else, okay? trying to figure out who the murderer is because they're so afraid. And then Musa salam, comes along and he says, Allah says to slaughter a cow. And then they say, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense right now. We're trying to find a killer. And then Allah Ta'ala, then, and then Musa is, uh, is making this prayer. So what I'm suggesting is when we add that backstory, I think now this makes, you know, their first response to him makes a lot more sense. And so now let's continue with what uh, the part that we left off on. So the cow neither told nor too young. And then what color is it? Safra. Now here's another interesting point. So I was teaching this class in, uh, um, at the university and there's a guy in the class, I don't think he himself was a rabbi, but his son was a rabbi. And, and he says this is the story of the red heifer okay, in Judaism. And uh, so this red cow. And what's also interesting is that the red heifer is significant in terms of end time prophecies that there are certain things that have to take place before the return of Jesus and Islam in Christianity. And one is the reestablishment of, of the polity of Israel. Another is the reappearance of the red heifer. Yeah, but that's the side point. And so he was asking, what color is a safra? And I said, this is the same word that saffron comes from. What color is saffron? Yeah. When is it red? Red and orange. Yeah, or red and yellow. Right? Yes, exactly. It's red and then it becomes yellow. It becomes, yeah, mustard is a perfect, a perfect version. And so that's fascinating because in our text, we're reading it as yellow. In their text, they're reading it as red. So anyway, that was a cool point. And we only found this out because someone else in the class said, well, that's, you know, saffron is red and yellow. And then we just had this moment of smile. So, but now think about what else is taking place. So we said, hypothetically, they went from theoretically a thousand now to 300 cows. Now it's red without any, it's red or it's this yellow color and it's a bright yellow color. Now it's gone down to a hundred possible cows. Okay. And then they say, all right, all the cows look the same to us. Just tell us, tell us uh, which one it is. Inshallah, we'll be guided. And so now it's been reduced even further. It can't have any marks on it. Now let's imagine it went down to 50 cows. And you can't, couldn't have used it yet, you know, for, for, as a beast of burden. 
So now it's gone to, um, to a couple possible cows because all the other cows would have been used for, for those purposes. Yeah. Uh, were yellow cows a thing back then? I'm guessing there, it's a thing today, so it was probably a thing back then as well. I know when you and I think of Chick-fil-A type, you know, cows, like in those ads, they're like black and white, but I don't know what cows in color. Okay. A return of the saffron cow may be a reference to Hindutva, uh, Allah knows best. I mean, there's a lot of commonalities, right? Saffron, cows, etc. Anyway, so then they say, now, you know, what did they say? Yeah. Uh, you, you come with the truth. And then they slaughter the cow. But then what are they told to do with the cow? Chop it up and take a piece of the meat of the cow and hit the dead body with it. <laughs> Sunny, yellow brown cows are still a thing. Nice. Okay. And so what happens is that this man who's dead comes back to life and identifies the killer and then dies again. And so this last part of this section is so fascinating. So he shows you his signs so that you might use your aql. But this seems to run so contrary to aql. It doesn't make any sense. Or that is the first step of aql, right? It's submission to Allah's system. Okay, so that's in a very, very simple nutshell, the story of the cow. Uh, we'll stop here and we'll do the very last ayah, inshallah, tomorrow. Uh, but any other thoughts, questions, reflections about all this? And let me, uh, let me pull up the, um, the questions. Uh, Basir, is it a possibility that they didn't want to kill the cow to avoid finding the killer? Sure. Possible. Uh, Aham, can you raise your hand? Yes, and you know, this is um, something that, you know, um, that I've had some problems like wrapping around like in my head. Um, is this kind of, you know, indirectly saying, you know, that we won't reach happiness or like, you know, contentment, um, you know, if we don't accept some fundamental truths first? Because we're very empirical, like in this, like this, you know, society. So we kind of question like everything. Is that the source of, you know, unhappiness or you know, incontentment, if you will? I mean, I don't know if we would infer that from this passage, but I think we can still suggest that as sort of a truth that if you want evidence for everything, there's some things where you just have to submit and a path towards getting closer to Allah is often, okay, let it go and, and submit, you know. So this is how often the Jamaat al-Tabli, the Tabli Jamaat, the TJs, they work, and as do many other groups, which is, okay, I can't explain to you the theory behind how this works, just do it. And walk the walk rather than explain. So often you do the practical before the theory. And and I think that isn't limited to Dean, but I think that definitely applies to Dean. You know, and, and just like in you and I, you know, in your searching days, we might have had this discussion, but it's a discussion I often have with people that are looking into Islam. They'll tell them, okay, at some point, you already know everything you need to know. You know, um, if you agree with the Shahada, then you have what you need. You know, everything else becomes filler to, to build upon it. You know, more often what we're seeking is, all right, let me have other things in case critics come along and I can respond to them. But the first test is for your own heart. Do I have enough of what I need? You know, and, and so likewise, this is how practice uh, works itself. Um, that increased practice, increased obedience is the primary method to get closer and closer to Allah to develop certainty. And it's sort of like saying that those questions to my mind, those academic rational questions, the questions may not go away, but this intensity of those questions will go away. And, you know, and, you know, like, alhamdulillah for my process, but there are many people, you know, that I know who were 
you know, looking, you know, like into Islam and, you know, this was the last hurdle that they just couldn't, couldn't, they couldn't cross. Just, it just, just accept some things as truth. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that has something to do with the ego, you know, mm-hmm. but, or the, like, the, like, rigidity, like, in their thought, but, you know, uh, Allah knows best. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. yeah, yeah, I would agree. I've, I've, I've seen it quite a bit where it seems like someone is so close to the dean, they're just about to walk into it, but, you know, uh, they're constantly in the search for something. And the end result is that from a distance, from a different vantage point, it looks like a dog chasing after its own tail. Yeah. I mean, this is not to, to mock that approach. It's uh, a lot of times people are so stuck that they're brought to tears, you know. Uh, so and another thing you mentioned, Omar, that, uh, that, you know, take the command and make it easy for yourself. Um, so in, in nowadays, over Olama is making it hard because, you know, it's, it's barely as some of them is sharing the easiness. Uh, example that, you know, Imam Mata said that, you know, or Imam Malik said in Mata that, you know, he never pray more than five rakah in Nisha. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, but, but, you know, we, hello? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, okay. yeah. So, because your screen is starting it. So, so I think, uh, so what, what do you say is that, you know, how we can adapt to share the easiness of deen within ourselves and our next generation or we are, we, are, we are doing something wrong. We are not sharing the easy part, but we are sharing the hard part. Okay, so, so one aspect is exactly what we see here that I think a lot of times we're driven by our nafs as opposed to the actual trying to get closer to Allah. Just think about the situation with the pandemic and all the people who kept insisting on praying. Even though it's in our tradition where the Prophet have told people to pray at home for lesser issues, right? Okay, it's cold today. It's really hot outside. And, and so, but if we look at it from a wider sociological perspective, who are the people that we're, that we're sending to madrasa? Those are the dumbest kids, right? And no disrespect to anybody who has islands in their family and such, but we're sending the dumbest kids. And so we're gonna get the dumbest version of Islam. I mean, that's how it's gonna happen. Uh, and so uh, if we add to it, where do we put most of our donations, most of our donation, and I think we were talking about this, goes towards the construction of a building or relief work and very little towards the sustenance of, of knowledge and the people of, of, of knowledge. And so that's going to be a vicious circle that way. You know, that if, if the, the inheritors of the prophet, peace be upon him, are the dumbest people in our community, then that's what Islam is going to be. You know, that's, this relates to a lot of stuff we talked about during Adnan's class on Islamic Renaissance. But nevertheless, you know, having said that at the individual level, yeah, the goal is to keep Dean as simple as possible. And one is to keep the boundaries with integrity as wide as you possibly can. You know, so if the instruction is do this, then uh, as opposed to asking for more questions, you may not want the answer for, uh, just do it. Or another way to think about this is if my question is, am I allowed to do such and such? Am I ready for the answer to be no? If I'm not ready for the answer to be no, then don't ask the question. Or do I have to do such and such? If the answer is going to be yes, if I'm not ready for the answer to be yes, then don't ask the question. Because you already have plenty of other things you know you have to fulfill that's already in your knowledge. And so, so another way to think about this is, you know, how do we commonly regard not just the Sahaba, but the Arabs at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, that for them, you couldn't really separate the acquisition of knowledge from the action. And so how long did it take Omar, super Sahaba, to complete Surah Al-Baqarah? I mean, even slower than our speed. I mean, it took him, what, anywhere 10 to 16 years to complete Al-Baqarah. And, and we understand at one level he's memorizing it, but he's practicing every phrase of it. And so at the individual level, that would be the approach to keep as tight to the text as slowly and meticulously as we can. Uh, so, so Stephanie Mirza uh, posted this thing that here we have it also the, sto- uh, the, the passage in the Bible on uh, what Moses, peace be upon him, is prescribing. Uh, uh, 
I haven't, well, actually it's Deuteronomy, so I haven't read it. So I probably, I have read it, but I haven't even paid attention to it back then. Um, then I take the heifer and, oh, very, very interesting. Okay. In any case, any other questions about anything at all? So essentially we will be finishing the class uh, tomorrow and we can possibly discuss what we're going to do after that. Um, Sammy, is that Islamic relief ad at the Bible website? Seems like it. Um, but let's see. Uh, other questions scrolling up. Uh, any other questions that we've missed? But Yaki. Um, I'm actually vying for a part three to this class. <laughs> we, can, we can take it in consideration, inshallah. You know. I feel like y'all might need a break from me, or maybe we can we can force Adnan Rahman to 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 teach a class. Yeah. Or Mahan. Yeah, Dr. Mahan should be teaching a class. This is absolutely true. You let him remain. Yeah, Mahan, you're online. Yeah, he is. Yeah. No. Mahan, Not online. <laughs> Mahan, alaikum, Mahan. Oh, you have to respond now. Well, oh, he did. He said he's not online. What, what, what kind of class do you want? Anything about Islamic history or madrasa introduction and the impact of madrasa Should in the South Asian class society. or a short class? Up to you. Yeah. Or here we can easily ask uh, anyone who's interested, type yes. What, yes. What, what color should the Zoom background be? <laughs> Any class as long as it's classy. Yeah. <laughs> you all missed what, what, what Mahan was doing. He's keep changing the color. <laughs> he's, you know, he's, uh, he's doing what Bunny Israel was doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Any case, uh, we can we can press. Oh, even Adnan is saying Mahan should be teaching class. So yes, so but, now. Um, any and other Adnan, questions about anything related to all this? Adnan, Adnan listened to Mahan last time and he did his part. So now Mahan, you have a. Ethical obligation. <laughs> He's now thinking, okay, I was enjoying this class until now. Ikhlaqi yeah. ikhdar, <laughs> demanding you to do something with Pakora. Okay. Um, in any case, any uh, other questions from above? I'm, I'm scrolling through to see um, if there are other questions that, that I missed. Uh, it was... Uh, it's, it's a little side note from with the current uh, discussion. Mm -hmm. I was uh, listening to Tariq Jamil, I think yesterday he was talking about uh, the starting up of the Madrasa in the, in the Indo-Pak region. And it was interesting that um, the people who were, uh, or the scholar who was trying to fight and to establish a, a small uh, Shai Ismail Shaheed, I think. He established a small uh, khilafah in northwestern part of uh, Pakistan, and he he implemented the rules so quickly that people revolted against him. Uh, they used to, you know, have like opium and other things, uh, have like a mahar for a woman that would be taken by the the, the parents or something like that. So they killed all of his uh, his ministers and ended his uh, his uh, hilafa like very soon. And then, with whatever he had left, he went to India. And uh, so he was leading to a story that so after a while he uh, somehow uh, it was put in his heart that he should start a madrasa. So then uh, the madrasa either him or somebody else, Madrasa system was started. And uh, I think Brother Adnan mentioned it, how it started and stuff like that. But it's just amazing. He was mentioning now it is in all, all continents that the... Uh, Basar, I think we lost you. No. Basar, either. Or did it you work, lose me? And that doesn't work. And okay. mashallah, yeah. you know, like in other so many ways, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make something else work that we th think that it wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I missed some uh, what you said. You said something about it's in all the continents, but then after that, you made this point about how the Khilafa didn't work, but the Madrasa worked, and that's an amazing thing about how Alatel will make something else work. That I think is a very important point. So, any other thoughts or reflections or questions? Okay, Sami, you may have already answered this, but uh, what is the idea when in doubt, don't ask? Uh, uh, I'm not sure, is that the question that you're asking? Or are you asking, uh, if it, actually, can you, okay, I mean, can you expand on your questions? Or you can speak. Yeah, the question I guess that I have is like, when in doubt, if you're not sure about something, should you ask a question? If it's a matter like, of obligation to Allah, then you are often fine by not asking. If you're ready and eager for the answer, then go for it. You know. Uh, but so so what's a question I often receive? Okay, do women have to cover their hair? Yeah. And men ask this question more than women do, but you know, which is its own dynamics. But um, uh, when I get asked this question, I'll, I'll respond, are you sure you want an answer? Are you sure? And then sometimes they say, okay, I'm not going to tell you today. Right. Um, or uh, I'm a man, am I allowed to shake hands with women? Are you sure you want an answer to this? You live in America. Good. And so see the point that I'm making, that if people are not ready for the answer, then, um, uh, then sometimes I might decide that they're not ready. You know. But the basic principle is if it's an obligation to a law and you're not ready for the answer, then do it, work with what you know. If it's something else like, all right. Everybody's you know, ready I, for that answer now with the COVID. Say it again. Everybody's ready for that answer now in the COVID era. It's very yeah. safe to give that answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then hopefully they'll forget as soon as the, uh, the pandemic ends. And, and so, so, but if it's something else, you know, more of a practical nature, then naturally you're going to ask all the questions that, that you need, you know, but if it's, if we're speaking of matters of obligations to a law, then it's different. Any other questions about anything at all? Okay, Shadik is saying, is there, is there a link between Oh, well, this is private, so I don't know if I was not supposed to tell that it's you. Okay. Uh, to your answer, or to your question, Shadik, uh, I don't know if, if it's a public question or not, so I'm gonna assume it's it's private. Uh, I'll say, I don't know that that is because there are two different things. It is a public question. Shadik is asking, you know, earlier that they, they worship a cow and here they're being told to slaughter a cow. I mean, I don't know if there's a relationship. It would follow if there is, although one was a calf, to be technical, um, and the other was 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 a full-blown cow. Could be, you know, but Allah knows best. Any other questions about anything at all? Are you going to do a follow-up class, or is this it? Um, I'm debating. Uh, I, I feel like I should let you all focus on, you know, the second half of Ramadan to, to do your own Ramadaning things. You know, I mean, I'll definitely be offering yeah. class three at some point, but I mean. A suggestion is, uh, why don't you do a, uh, uh, an Aqidah class? You think you can? Well, Aqidah would be getting super, super uh, into abstract uh, uh, theories. So not unlike how we spoke about uh, uh, free will and predestination and, and how fun and abstract that question was. This would apply to what's the relationship between Allah and his attributes. You know, if there is one Allah, does that mean there should be one Ummah? You know, all kinds of questions that people had throughout throughout history. Yeah, but that's exactly what would give them uh, or give us an exercise and, uh, of uh, submission. I don't know that it would do that. I think that type of thing um, would leave people's heads spinning with uh, uh, not knowing what they know, what they don't know, as opposed to Quran is very, very direct and straightforward. And then it's like the questions are built in. Uh, I, I mean, so, so a common uh, uh, approach that, that people of much better knowledge than me take is that, all right, you should take some amount of training and, and then get into other stuff. I actually 
to disagree with that. I said, once you have the Shahada, then you go right into Quran and, and develop the Quranic style of thinking. Then later on, you can get into an Aqidah text because uh, I think an Aqidah text winds up raising more questions than answering them. I think, I think we, have a, we have a good momentum and uh, honestly, your class is actually contributing towards the, the spirit of Ramadan. So, well, if it's doing that, then that's a very strong argument in favor of continuing. Yeah. yeah, so my my humble opinion is that you know let's continue with the, this class and see how far you go and until you can get bored from us uh, and get tired of sitting on this chair, you know. Yeah, so. So. <laughs> or either uh, uh, Monday was the first time I left the house since March second or March twentieth. So I'm 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 living my ideal life here. And these style these piles of books are just growing and growing. <laughs> oh my, yeah. Let's see how creative you can get with the camera shots. I mean, if I went to film school, we could get super creative here. here. Here's my, you know, when I'm doing the, the class right after this with my daughters and nieces, this is them. Yeah. That's basically, <laughs> that's how much they'll show of themselves, you know. And I'll say, can we see more of your face? Okay, there. Right. That's like half the class. Yeah. Okay, so, so I mean, I'm more than willing to continue the class, inshallah. Uh, I'm yes. looking more from the, from the back. So let, no, no, I didn't say yeah. I am. I didn't say I am. I'm just saying, you know, I'm looking more from the, the actual benefit of... And in, in between, if you need a couple of days break, like over the weekend, then Mahan can take over for like a two days journey. Well, uh, okay, let me, let me talk to, to uh, Adnan and Mahan and giving all of you a break from yeah. me for, for a couple of days. See if I can yeah. kiss their arms. Yeah. Let, let, yeah. let me and Ziavai know if you need to ask to gang up on him or something like that. Well, why don't you guys just get started right now? All right, yeah, well, let's call him now after okay. that. If you pick up, yeah. somebody said it all lines to somebody. You want to work on Mahan or Adnan? Pick one, I'll pick the other. No, Mahan, Mahan, Adnan did his part. So Adnan is, you know, I don't want to pick a fight with Adnan. Yeah, nobody wants to pick a fight. All right, so we'll gang up on Mahan then. Any case, any other questions about anything at all? Yeah, uh, I do. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Speaking. Go ahead, you can go. Okay, um, uh, if this, you know, if the next couple of days is the last time, I, uh, I do want to express my gratitude, you know, to you as yeah. for, you know, uh, uh, I'll keep you and uh, your family in my duas. I think turning the Quran into sh sh uh, shifting focus toward, um, you know, internal transformation is very, you know, like important, especially in this time. So, you know, thank you. And JazakAllah. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Basra, you had a question? Yeah. Uh, is it possible you can just briefly um, mention your point again about looking at the previous story uh, through the community perspective? Oh, that we will be, we'll be doing tomorrow, inshallah. Yeah. In fact, that might add, uh, I mean, part of, so tomorrow we basically literally have one more ayah and then we're going to revisit everything through uh, a lens of community dynamics, inshallah. So that'll be, that'll be taking place still. Yeah. Okay. So uh, in, uh, I remember you did it once before three, four days ago. Yeah. We touched uh, on some passages. Yeah. Yeah. Is the point of it that we have to be, uh, we also have to be a little bit um, uh, critical, uh, not critical, but uh, vigilant about our community leaders as to what they're what they're saying to us or if they're misleading us. Uh, I mean, we're not following our lead. Our community. I mean, our religious leaders are different from our uh, political leaders. Uh, but uh, for Bani Israel, maybe it was different. Uh, and that was a cause for them, but maybe we don't really stick to one uh, like them. So maybe we don't have the same level of uh, problem that can happen from that. Well, I mean, I'd say the short part of the answer is that most of the people we're even classifying as community leaders are more uh, influencers. Uh, Leif, to your question, yes, there will be an exam. Um, uh, they're more influencers than actual leaders. And because they have no power of coercion, uh, even if you give your bayah to to an emir or a sheikh, 
that person, the only power they may have is to ostracize you, to kick you out of the community, but they don't have any power. And so I see them more as influencers rather than leaders. You know, if I don't listen to law enforcement, they have coercive power. If I don't listen to a politician, that person potentially has coercive power to make me obey. Uh, but the common religious leader here, at least, doesn't have anything remotely to that, that type of power. And so they're influencers. And sometimes they don't realize they don't have any power. And, 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 so, uh, and so the other point to consider is that we do often get the leaders that, that we deserve or the leaders are very much representative of us. And it's fine to, to hold, the feet, hold the feet of the leader to the fire, so to speak, to, you know, to keep them in check. But the real fact of the matter is those leaders are often lay people, just like the rest of us. And, and so the fundamental question is, what is my contribution to, to the health and well-being of my community? You know, I mean, unless, you know, I'm such a mess that my contribution is to stay out of the way, because otherwise I'll cause problems. Um, the fact of the matter is that just because someone's in front of the camera um, doesn't mean they have power, but if someone is off camera, it doesn't mean that they are free of responsibility. So, I, uh, thanks for the answer. Uh, I think you're, you're right. Uh, so, going back to that story, so let's say that uh, if Ben Israel had maybe uh, stood up against or they understood the, what Allah SWT is saying and understood that their leaders, their scholars are misleading them and they said no, uh, we're going to do what Allah is saying. So let's say some uh, some of our scholars is is are telling us the things that are not Islamic or at least uh, not uh, not in line uh, with our ethics or morals. Uh, is is that a community's job to 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 uh, to then tell a correct perspective to? The people who are listening or just leave them and you know it's it's their own uh, choice whether they're going to take him seriously or not so i think i mean that depends upon particulars and so uh if someone is recognizing that there's a wrong then they have to do about it, something about it right this is the hadith of abu sayyid al-khudri you see a wrong change it with your hand if not change it with your tongue if not feel bad about it in your heart and some of that will relate to how much capability the, do you have and, and so what is the ideal situation? You approach the, the, the speaker or the teacher who's doing something wrong and offer correction. But let's say you do not convince them. And let's say they're being sincere and they disagree with you. Uh, then you may be taking an approach of letting other people know, or you may be taking an approach of, of, um, of departing like, the, like the, the people of the cave. Hold on for a second. Okay. So, so, so those are, I mean, so it really depends upon the specifics of the situation, right? I mean, as you all know, I get pulled in, or I used to get pulled in a lot to those cases of a different type of misconduct of preachers. And that one of the questions becomes, you know, what is the level of harm? And then in response to the level of harm, what is, you know, my obligation in addressing the harm? You know, when I get pulled into most cases, I, I tell the people, don't even give me any names. Just tell me what the facts of the situation are. And then, I'll, and then you know, we'll work accordingly. But, yeah. Any other questions about anything at all? Okay, uh, let, me, let me figure out, uh, you know, from my end regarding, um, you know, doing uh, the course number three, inshallah. It seems like enough people are interested. And yes, there will be an exam. Um, yeah, um, that is, you know, one of the few ways teachers can exert power is just by making you do exams. But, but the, the point being that, all right, uh, and then let me talk to some of these other, these other cats and see if we can get them to teach so that all you all can get some, you know, I think when Adnan was teaching his class, I think it was also like a, a breath of fresh air, you know, sort of a change of pace for a moment. Um, another possibility is that uh, we do, um, uh, what's the word, um, hadith, you know, but, but let's see, inshallah.
Alrighty, we'll stop right here. I gotta run to my next class, inshallah. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiruka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah tell the word you all, inshallah. Wa akhir da'wana anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.